Welcome back to Hope, the podcast for those who've lost loved ones to suicide. I'm Sherry Lynn and I'm here with John. Good afternoon, everyone. So today what we want to talk about is support systems for after you've lost somebody to suicide. There are three different types of supports that we're going to get into. We're also going to talk about our experiences, what kind of supports we found useful after our losses, and what kind of things happen that were positive and some things that may have been negative for us. There'll be things that we'll discuss. Family is a big one. Workers, co-workers, your healthcare professionals, doctors, therapists, psychiatrists, the police, if the police were involved, other other services in the community that may have been involved. There's a lot of different things that will come into play in this part. And some of it will be very surprising in regards to how much support you get. And some of it will be kind of disappointing in what you expected from people and it, they just they didn't show up. It's going to be different. Okay, thanks. So before we get into any big topics and anything regarding us, let's just talk about the three levels of support that are out there. So there's an outside support system, external and internal. Did you want to go over that? Maybe explain a little bit. I think for me, a lot of the, the classifications that we use in the groups, a lot of them blended into each other from one to another. Uh, a lot of it has to do with where I work, being in public service, there was a, the line wasn't as defined for me as it was for some others. Peripheral, your outside support will be stuff that community services, uh, help centers, support centers, distress, doctors, therapists, counselors, mental health services, people that you, you go out actively look to find help with to get you through this. And then your, your external would be more like family, clergy, colleagues at work, more close, per se, a family doctor or, or trusted friends. And then if we, if we go internally, spiritually, with faith, everything kind of the, what you feel inside, uh, meditation, exercise, you know, past coping skills, if, if you had dealt with death or a loss at some point in time, previous to this, which will make you realize that that past experience doesn't do very much to get you through this one, but it's maybe a starting point. All right. Thank you. That's good. Sometimes people just don't understand what type of supports are out there either. Let's just talk about a little bit about the supports that we found useful after our losses. So after you lost your son, what kind of supports did you think were useful? Let's talk about the positive supports. Okay. So I think I'm going to do this kind of like thinking of maybe throwing a pebble in a pond. The second of that pebble hit the water was that moment that we found out what happened to Zach and the rings will be how the support systems further away from internally we we ended up using. Right off the bat we were dealing with the police. They did the best they could. There's there's no really easy way for someone to tell you that you've you've lost a loved one, especially in that in that kind of manner. There was that. Right away it was it was reaching out to uh, family members, you know, to get everybody together to try to shore each other up, to lean on, because it was just too surreal. It was, it was unbelievable what we were we were dealing with. And as the day progressed, as the rings continued to go further and further out, there were things that, that had to be done. Clergy, funeral homes, relatives that were out of town. It's just the, the real support... Right out of the get-go, what was from family? That that's the probably the biggest one that everybody's going to run into right at the beginning. And then as as the minutes and hours and days go by, you will see the need, the necessity to reach out to 
other programs or supports in the community to, to get you through this because unless, and I feel bad for somebody who's gone through this before, it's it's nothing like anything else to deal with. What did you find positive though, John? What was the, the best, most positive experience of support that you felt when right after Zach died or a month after Zach died or two months after Zach died, what did you go? Oh my gosh, this is a hundred percent what I need in this moment. And this is a really good thing for me. Other, other than the initial support from family members, my mom, my dad, Zach's brothers, there was really the, the, the biggest support that I got was probably from the most outside of them all. And that was getting help from, distress center in Durham. Right out of the the gate, I realized that this was bigger than anything I'd ever dealt with, that anything that my family had ever dealt with, that not dealing with it properly was going to be catastrophic, to say the least. So once the initial shock of phoning people right away, family support there, I would have to say it was the, the outside that made it kind of helped along with the wound the easiest. It was, it was Durham distressed. I have to, you know, kudos to the funeral home. They were fantastic. That's their, their job. But they, for me, I, I felt they went well beyond their necessity to provide a service in, in regards to this. So it was it, it kind of, like I said, it was different for me because it was the, it was the initial shock of it. And then the outrings from outside working in. Okay. So what did the distress center do for you that was so, I guess, positive in your, in your road to grief and recovery and loss? We'll use the, yeah, we'll use positive kind of really loosely that there's really very little positive beginning. They, I didn't know what I was going to expect when I showed up. Uh, to group that night it was there it was just happened to be their monthly drop-in for a non-structured group and i um i stood at the door looking in and there was probably a half a dozen ten people in there and i walked in and everybody kind of had the same look of disbelief and loss that my mother that my mother that my wife had that Zach's mom did, and with any without anybody uttering a word, it was probably the the first time since the incident that I felt safe and that I felt kind of accepted that I wasn't like oh don't say anything because they just lost their kid kind of thing. And everybody kind of knew it, knew what was going on without anybody uttering a single word. That's okay. It's not good to be there, but it's good to be around people you have a similar story to, I guess. Yeah. When I lost my dad, I just, I was 19. I didn't even know who to talk to. People didn't know how to talk to me. I felt like, whose dad kills himself when you're 19? Like, I just didn't have anybody to relate to. And nobody knew how to relate to me because being 19, I didn't have any friends or anybody who's lost a dad or a parent to any kind of illness, let alone someone who made that decision because they were so ill to take their own life. I hadn't, I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know where to go. And I kind of just plugged away with immediate friends and family. And I kind of had to take certain people in moments that 
they were there to be helpful. And when they weren't being helpful, I had to learn really quickly how to put up boundaries and how to say no to people who I weren't finding helpful in that moment. So for example, my mom and my sister and I all grieved very differently the loss of my dad. My parents weren't together anymore. And my mom was upset that how dare your, you know, how dare your dad do that and leave this for you to deal with? Cause now I was the executor of his will and she wasn't very helpful and positive, but now looking back 17 years later, now I'm a mom. Now I understand a bit more of what she was going through, but it wasn't helpful in the moment when I was angry and upset and I just needed somebody to comfort me and say something that was helpful. It, it, she, she just wasn't the right person in that moment for me. So even finding the people who are maybe a little bit more external to your family who don't have their own not agenda, but their own loss that they're dealing with is sometimes even better because everyone's grieving so differently that sometimes your grief kind of clashes, if that makes any sense. My sister didn't want to talk about it. All I wanted to do was talk about it. And my mom was angry at my dad and I was dealing with very different kind of anger. Like, how do you leave me? And then I didn't want to hear anybody else being angry at him. I just kind of wanted my own anger. I, makes I, sense. I agree with that, that, that's a good way of putting it. There was a lot of clashing of, of grief. There was, especially when you had all that, all those family members together, they've all lost. And we all lost the same individual. You know, we all lost Zach, but Zach was specific. His relationship was specific to each individual in that family and very different, which would have somebody grieve very differently. And everybody needed support to some degree that day because of the loss. So it's difficult to share or to prioritize who gets more attention than the other person. You know, for me, it was obviously my concern was my wife, my daughter, you know, the, the Zach's brothers were, were older, you know, so I, I anticipated them to be more manly in, at the moment. What I, what I found intriguing and I would never ever have thought this people that I knew acquaintances nothing really no big deep conversations or past history or like that I found those people some of those people came out out of the woodwork and they supported and helped in, in ways that I could never have imagined or ever be able to thank them enough and it, it, it was it was mind-blowing you know what I find interesting about those outside, outside kind of acquaintance people is that it's like they're able to empathize enough to put themselves in your shoes and say, what would I do? What would I want? And those kind of are like these really quiet heroes sitting on the edges, but they're coming in and doing things that you need help with, or they're helping bring you food, or they're saying, hey, let's go for coffee. Do you need to talk? And they're those really great quiet listeners that are willing to take the time and because they have so much empathy for what you're going through in that moment, they end up being these really amazing support systems that are a little surprise support yeah, systems. And, and I think it, it had to do with, they shared in the sadness with us of the event, but they didn't share in the grief. Oh, that's a good way to put By it. By not having to share in the grief, they were able to say, okay, this is what I think they need. And a lot of them did a really good job of coming up with what they think I needed or we needed. You know, there was never a shortage of somebody stopping by with something to eat, 
you need this, you need that, you need some picked up, does anybody need a ride anywhere? Always, you know, checking in. It was fantastic. And then there were certain people that you expected, you know, around the, you know, waiting, you were always waiting for them to come around the corner where you can say, oh, thank God you're here. And they didn't. And I don't know if that had to do with they were grieving. They had taken on some grief because obviously those people would have been a lot closer to you and would have known, you know, your particulars of your family more. They were dealing with their own thing and they didn't want to impose or step on your grief. I, I don't know. It, it was just, it was really, it was a really strange in that manner. I think some people are scared because they've never been through that kind of catastrophic loss in their life. So they really just think if they need me, they're going to call. That's what's going to happen. Because if I impose, I'm going to say something I shouldn't say. I don't want to butt in where I don't belong. There's a hundred different reasons, I think, why people don't show up. But at the end of the day, for me, it just made me more pissed off. Because I was like, why aren't you here for me? I'm in like going through the worst thing of my life right now, but you're not showing up. That person probably has already made a decision in their head why they're not showing up. But it's hard when you're in the moment and you're angry and you're upset or you're grieving and you're super sad to, you can't put yourself in somebody else's shoes in that moment. You just wish that they could automatically read your brain. Think about what you need and come over. Uh, there was no, there was no thinking about what you're, you were so absorbed in this moment, oh, absolutely. Uh, this fog, this, you, you know, you see your wife, you know, Zach's mom is just, you've never seen her like this ever, it completely destroyed a shell of a person within minutes, the devastating news and to understand and to anticipate, you don't ever know if you're ever going to be the husband, how we're going to recover from this at what degree you're going to recover i was i was not oblivious to the concept that our lives had changed forever from that moment on the the book of our previous lives goals dreams had closed and we were thrown a brand new book with a blank page on it and a pencil to start writing anew and it was frightening. And I would like to say probably just being the head of your family that that would be very frightening. It, it was, it was different. It was, it was, I had a very short, my real grieving for Zach was, was very short lived. And I went to the hospital that morning. I identified him. I had my half an hour, 40 minutes, you know, my daughter-in-law accompanied me, but you know, I was in the room with him, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't a funeral setting. He wasn't, all done up and hair done and clothes and all. It was just the way he was when they finished trying to revive him and it's, and it's rawness of it all. And I just, I just kept on looking at him and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I just, I, I remember saying to him so many times, just, just wake up because he looked like he was sleeping. I said, just, just wake up. And, and, and that was, and that was, like I said, that was like 45 minutes. And then I had to, I had to get home to my, I had to get home to my family. And that's probably the, the most raw grieving I had for him because then I went home and I had to, I had to take care of my family. And you had to be their support system. I, I, yeah. I, the, the grieving shoes came off. 
and the new boots on the ground, I got to take care of my family. What has to be done? Okay. So I'm going to backtrack for a second because you and I have talked for hours and hours and hours about our stories. And I want to just thank you for sharing that you went to the hospital and that you opened up about going to see Zach at the hospital. And I think that's really brave of you. For one, I was offered to go and I was like, absolutely not. Am I going to go to the hospital and have that? So for me, but I was, everybody's, di- everybody, everybody's everybody has right? their own journey. Yeah. And for me, I was like, uh, there's no friggin' way that I'm going to do that. Because here I'm 19. That, that's not, mm-hmm. I didn't know what that would do to my, yeah to my emotions. And I was just trying to breathe and I was trying to keep it together. And I was trying to be tough and strong and plan a funeral. And I'm just, I'm impressed and I appreciate that you shared that. And then you had to automatically go, I have 45 minutes of grieving to, okay, now I'm everybody else's support system, which is a hundred percent what I've seen and known of you is that you are everybody else's support system. You just go, go, go. I'm not, I'm not going to say thank you for, for, you know, for the, for saying that. I don't think I did any, I just think I did what I was supposed to do. It's part of, you know, what makes me who I am, the job that I do. It was, there was, there was no. Did it just make sense for you to do that? It just made sense. It, I, there wasn't anybody I'm going to look over my shoulder for to come and take over. It was, it was go time and I had to do the best I could for my family because it was, like I said, it was the most, I had to reach out. I had to reach out right away to get help because this was something that, I had never anticipated, you know, Zach struggled. I anticipated a death by other means, never by his own hands. You mean by overdosing? By right? overdosing. Okay. Yeah. You know, overindulgence one night, not knowing what he was taking, but, but never, never by his own hand. And it was, yeah, this was bigger than anything I'd ever anticipated or seen. Well, and the interesting thing that you and I talk about often, or we have talked about a few times is that you sat there and you planned for years, like maybe two years. If a happens, I will deal with it this way. So for example, if Zach overdoses by accident, this are the steps I'm going to put in place. And when you're living in a relationship with somebody who's not taking care of themselves or mentally, they're not in a positive place in their life. You're, you, you've planned this because you know that this is a reality that could happen. And then something happens and you didn't expect it at all. What oh, the was, result was, was not, you couldn't even anticipate. No, that was the that, next step. That was never even so contemplated. It was what a waste, what a waste of two years. Well, what then, a waste, what a waste of planning. Yeah. You, you, you planned for nothing. Planned for absolutely nothing because nothing that I planned, I could have, I used, I was able to use to deal with, what had really happened. Mm-hmm. Absolutely none of it. It was, it was, it was a challenging, it was a challenging, and I'm, I'm grateful that my ego did not get in the way of asking for help. That I'm so thankful for whatever reason, powers out there allowed me or didn't allow my ego to get in the way. I'm tough enough, pull up your boots, get going. It's, it's it was no, I need to get help for this because this is beyond me. Well, interestingly enough, when we do our suicide survivor groups, typically the number of women in the group definitely outnumber the men that come, but slowly it's changing. It's starting to change. You're starting to see more men come into the survivor support groups. I've noticed in the past few years, 
But the first three years, I think, that I did the Suicide Survivor Group, it was mostly women. It was maybe if we had one man, maybe. And maybe he didn't feel comfortable to stick around because he was the only guy in the group. And sometimes he stuck around for the eight weeks and sometimes they didn't stick around for the eight weeks because they just felt like they weren't going to get the connection that they were mm-hmm. looking for. Maybe, maybe yeah. like you, like what does a head of family need to do to survive this loss? Yeah. We're, we're looking for supports in that sense. Exactly. And and you don't know what other things get attached to that. You know, is there, is there religion? Is there faith that, that the stigma with, with certain beliefs, there is, again, there's ego has to play a large part. There, there, there has to be a, a, a big part of that. But stigma. So there's number one, there's stigma on the person who's living with mental illness. Okay. Whether like, yeah, it's getting better, but it's still there. And if you're a man, there's even more stigma to ask for help and reach out. So now the person we love, whether they're male or female, they take their lives and there's still stigma. It's on the news. It's everywhere. Now the stigma is passed on to the people who are left behind. So now as survivors, we're stuck scrambling. Do we want to tell people? People still don't tell people. I've been in groups with people who are like, uh, just so you know, if you ever run into me, don't mention how you know me. And I'm like, oh, absolutely not. I'll just say, hey, how's it going? Because this is a privacy thing. But they'll say, yeah, so-and-so. I don't tell anybody that my friend took their life or my family member took their life. Because it's just too embarrassing. Yeah, uh, and yeah. so the stigma just keeps continuing. It's like it's spiraling from one person to the next, to the next, to the next. So even having the ability that you asked for help and you reached out and you didn't just kind of remain quiet and kind of sit on your feelings while they ferment inside of you. It's amazing that you could do that. I find it interesting sometimes in a group where you have people that are telling their story. They tell you, yeah, I went to back. I went back to work a week later, or two weeks later. I did. I went a week later. And, and, and <laughs> I don't mean to be insulting in any way, but it's almost like they're seeing it. They're expecting a badge. Like, wow, you went back oh, to work. Oh, did. Okay. You, you went to back. Wow, you went back to work a week later. Holy moly, man! You're like superhero kind of thing. And like somebody saying it to the person, like they're no, a hero, it, it, or they just, feel like a hero for yeah, going back. For going back, I. By all means, if that's what somebody needs to do to cope, by all means, do it. Because this is all about learning techniques to cope. But to go back because you felt obligated to go back. Well, how much time did you take off work? I took off a month and a bit. Okay, so I had a summer job. I was home from university. Okay, so here's the deal. (laughs) Like being an adult who's 37 now, I, I would definitely give advice to somebody, hey, you should take some time off work. Nobody, not one person said to me, hey, you know what, Sherilyn, maybe you should take longer than a week off work. Nobody. That was just like, oh, that's what you do. You just go back to work. And I, did, I didn't know anything else except for, guess I keep going. I guess I keep going. Like no one's telling me to stop. And I'm a doer. I planned the funeral. I did everything. I sold the car he died in. I sold his house. I just did and I did and I did and I did and I didn't know what else to do but do. So I went back to university like a month and a half. No, like a month after he died because I didn't know what else to do. But luckily, so the ironic thing is, and I can't remember if I said this in a podcast before, we were talking about support systems. 
a week before my dad died, I had said, Hey dad, you know, I'm super stressed out. And he said, yeah. And I said, well, I'm scared that you're going to kill yourself. And he goes, yeah, I know. And I said, I don't, I don't know what to do. Like I'm nervous. I'm scared to come to your house. I'm scared to find you. And he's like, okay, you know what? I'm going to get you a counseling appointment. So he booked me a counselor and it was booked for one week after he died. And I mean, I know that I'm, I don't know for sure, but I think the day he took his life, it wasn't like June 26th. This is the day I'm going to take my life. It wasn't, it wasn't like that. It was, this was the next crappy day in succession of, I already have a plan. Yeah. So this is my next crappy day. And okay, it's going to be today. But he knew and he cared and he loved me. And we had a really close relationship that he put this counseling session in place because he knew how overwhelmed I was by this information, which was, I met this incredible counselor who counseled me off and on for 10 years, whenever I needed like little check-ins or whatever else comes up in, in life that you need. It was somebody that I trusted and it was, I built this really unique relationship with her because I needed a grown up to help guide me. And she was that person for me and kind of taught me what normal families may look like or what normal behavior was. Like you really shouldn't know your dad's going to take his life. And, that's not a typical thing for no, somebody not. to grow up dealing with. So I needed some like retraining. Yeah. And that's a big thing with, with the, the really good support groups, whatever they are inside, outside, internal. One of the things that was, was, was really, really important in, in surviving this and starting the, the recovery from this was to feel, feel safe, to feel listened to, to understand that the feelings that you were going through and the questions and, and these these hamsters that are going on this wheel nonstop 24 hours a day, that that is normal for people that are experiencing this kind of grief because of this traumatic experience. And that was a big, it was a big help to think I'm not losing my mind. It was, I went to somebody suggested when I was at university, they said there is a suicide survivor support group and it was at a funeral home in Waterloo and they said, we really think you should go. I know it's been a year since your dad died. And I thought, well, maybe I don't need this. But I went anyways, because I gave myself that year in my head that you should be okay. But I totally wasn't. And I went and there was another young man. He was my age and he lost his dad. The relationship was very different though. I had a good relationship with his dad, but it was, we just had different relationships and that's okay. But it was amazing to meet somebody my age somebody who lost their parent the commonality yeah and and to not feel alone it was probably the first time in a year that i didn't feel alone with a complete stranger with a complete stranger and then there was um i remember there was this amazing husband and wife they lost their son and they ended up taking us out the the young man and i we went out for dinner with them and it was like they were kind of wanting to help guide and parent us but guide us knowing that we were young and they lost their son who was almost our age. So we built this really cute and unique relationship through grief and through loss. And we were our own like support systems that continued on for a few years down the road too. So you're learning not to feel alone, that your feelings of anger, your feelings of stress, your feelings of guilt, those are all normal things. And when you hear 10 other people or six other people say they're feeling what you're feeling, it's kind of like an aha moment where you don't feel alone. Exactly. Yes. It takes away from the isolation, from the loneliness of it all. It's it's one of the, in the groups, 
doing the the peer support for this. It's probably, and I, I, I don't have the exact statistics in front of me, but out of all the supports that's out there, therapy, psychiatric, anything, peer support for suicide survivors is the most beneficial out of all the support groups because there's this commonality. We've all been initiated into this club. There's no way of getting thrown out. We're going to be part of this club forever. And it's, and it sucks. I wish I never knew about this club. I wish I, I was, I really, I would have been quite happy still being ignorant about suicide. Um, but now that I'm in this, I, I've learned a lot and I, I have to give back because it's, it's that important. I, I see how, how positive a good group environment can be and how positive talking it out can be amongst other survivors, especially ones that are fresh, some that are two, three, four years down their journey of, of coping and surviving. And then you see these, these advocates, these angels, you know, like Sherry Lynn, 17 years, Christine, another 17 years, some longer than that. They just bring so much hope into the group because they made it 17 years. That's, and that's what drives us, the hope that tomorrow, that the next hour, the next day will be a little better. And it's hard to tell people at the beginning, but it's hard. It will. Every ounce of your entire body hurts. Your stomach hurts. Your skin hurts. Yeah. Like everything just aches of loneliness and grief and just getting up in the morning and functioning is hard enough. Everything becomes an effort at the beginning. It does. Everything. Everything. Dragging a comb through your hair is an effort. I remember, I, I can't remember if I said this before, but I remember every morning I'd wake up and the first thing I would think about is my dad, my dad, my dad, and felt my loss. And I remember one day I woke up and it was probably a year and a half later and it was noon. And I, at noon, I thought about my dad. I'm like, holy, oh my goodness, it's noon. I haven't thought about him yet. And then my first immediate response was guilt. I feel guilty. It took me till noon to think about my dad. And now I'm like, okay, well, hold on. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that means it doesn't hurt as much as it did a year and a half ago when this happened. And 17, well, it's going to be 18 years soon. I still think about my dad every single day. He's very much a part of who I am and part of my day and a part of my mental health advocacy and why I am the way, who I am is because he, he died. And I try to take something positive from his loss because there's so much negative when you're in that grief. But I think about him every day, but it just doesn't hurt the same as it did 17 and a half years ago. So the whole point is that tomorrow or the next day, or maybe six months from now, it's not going to be as hard as it is today. So it does get better. It doesn't happen instantly, no. but a little bit by a little bit by a little bit and with really good support system. So making sure if you can get to a therapist, talking to somebody about your loss, giving you strategies, how to survive your day or what kind of things that you need specifically to work on, making sure you're finding uh, friends that you trust. Sometimes you have a really good friend. That's a really good friend before your loss. And then after your loss, like John said, like people aren't showing up. They're not, they're not stepping up the way you think that they should step up because everything's changed. Well, it does. However, Everything. I remember going, being young when my dad died, I'm standing at my dad's casket during the wake and I'm staring at him and 
two feet away from me, two of my friends were talking about how their boyfriends, they're going to dump their boyfriends or whatever. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like literally my dad is probably five feet away from you. And this is the conversation you're having. Can you not walk to the back of the funeral home to have this conversation? And I was livid and I did not want to talk to these people. And I didn't talk to them for five years. They're now my friends again. And you know, when time passes and things change and perspective changes too. So sometimes friends just have moments that you need to break from them because they don't know what you're going through and they don't know how to be there for you. But it doesn't mean that further down the road, dynamics don't change or your thought process doesn't change either. So sometimes the friends that are the outsider friends that you kind of know, like John said, become really close friends because of what you're going through as well. And you kind of pick up different relationships with people. And those, and those people that you did not expect to really stand up and help you out because you don't really know their story. We don't know what they've experienced. Mm -hmm. Maybe they have some type of history or experience in this that we don't know about. And they actually do know what we might need because of what has happened maybe in their family. And I guess one of the big things about this whole support thing, you look at the things closest to us and the rings in the pond when you, when you throw the pebble in, a lot of these things, it's they're almost it's almost like a recipe and we're going to bake a cake. Not one single ingredient is going to help everything. It, we have to take a little bit of everything to make it all work. We have to take family. We have to take physicians. We have to take psychiatrists. We have to take therapy. We we have to take manipulate it and, and mold it to what works for us so that all of them together will give us the help and the support that we need to get stronger, to battle this grief, to, to recover from this injury the best that we can. But one single thing out of all of these is not... It's not going to do it. It's got to be a whole. It's got to be a whole combination of things together. Like a recipe. Like a recipe for it to work. It's got to. You got to use a little bit of everything. Something I did. I still do. I exercise. So I didn't. I exercised a little bit before my dad died. But my counselor said you are so mad. You need to go to the gym every day for forty minutes every single day. So I wasn't really impressed with that prescription from her. But I did it, and it got better and better, and. By the end of a year of working out, it was really hard to work out because I wasn't even angry anymore. But it's a really good coping strategy that I've learned. So when I'm angry or frustrated or stressed out now, now I go to my basement in my house and I work out. So I have a new internal strategy that I can use. And it's whatever works. Right. And it's whatever works. There's a lot of people that depend on faith, you know, their their church, their, their church community. And if that's what's working for you, by all means, if you have a go-to thing that, that works, use it. Work it out. Some people like to watch, um, Some, Game of, is it Game of Thrones? Game of Thrones. I don't watch that, but. Some people want to, you know, they bury themselves in, in, and that's in, okay. in TV. It's okay. And deal, talk to your, but everybody's got to know what the other person is doing. You know, if you go see your family doctor and you end up seeing a therapist, make sure you, you discuss on both sides so that everybody knows what, what's going on. It. It's just it's just trying to find the recipe. And if you need to go to the doctor and, and get you need, medicine yes. yourself, that's okay too. Yeah. If you need you need it short term, you need it long term. It's it's just knowing and discussing it with a lot of different people that are in the know of, of either that medication or that kind of treatment or, or this kind of therapy. 
that can guide you because one single thing is not going to fix it. And it's going to change too over time. And it will change. It have to, and it will have, to, and it will have to be modified as you get strong. So, like we said, everybody, your plan is going to change. What's going to happen over the next year, two years, three years, whatever. But what you need year one might not be what you need year two or year three. So it's okay that your plan changes and what works for you might change too. Yeah, it's, it's going to change. It's, it, everybody's going to change at their own pace. Don't gauge yourself or don't measure yourself against your perceived expectations of that person or, oh, look, look how good that person is doing already compared to me or I should be at this stage now. Don't, it, that's defeating the purpose. It doesn't do you any good. It does actually more harm than good. And this is something that will be addressed on a regular basis. Things will move. Medications will change. Friends come, friends go. New friends show up. So will the old ones, if it's meant to be. But it, there's going to be, one of the things for sure is that there's going to be a lot of change. Be ready for it. Don't fight it too hard because it's a lot of change. It's a lot of change. But you can do it. Right. So if you know people who are dealing with loss of suicide, please share this with them. I know that everybody can get to a support group. We think they're fantastic, but that's why we're doing this podcast because we want to reach as many people as we can who have lost someone to suicide, who can't reach the groups or don't feel comfortable going to the group or don't have time to go to the group because people have very busy lives. We just want to say thank you for listening and we appreciate it, but we also want you to know that we care about you and we want you to take care of you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you can do it. You can. We believe in you guys.